Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. It is your host Fahad and you have tuned into another episode of Socotra Talks and I hope you guys are all in the best of health and iman. I'm happy to kick off the season with a topic, something that is important and almost determines how we are remembered before we leave this life and into the next one, which is our permanent home. Everyone, if not most, wants to leave a legacy. They want their communities and their children and those after them to remember them in such a good light as someone who made a real difference wherever they was. You know, it not only gives us a greater sense of purpose while living, but it serves the future generations and potentially shapes those communities. I'm very happy that I've brought along Coach Mohammed Ibrahim, who is a freelance coach, a trainer, a tutor, a community activist, someone who I'm really, really, really happy to have on. It is a big honor, and I wanted to take this time, this first episode of the season two, to delve into things such as creating a legacy, becoming a resource for your community, and trying to be the best version of yourself. So, just to bring the listeners back before I introduce the coach, the way I actually got to know him was through an elderly friend of mine, you know, Marilyn Badr, who teaches at the masjid or the duksi that I used to go to. And he was someone who was quite familiar with my podcast. And so I'm talking to him about the new season, the plans that I have for season two. And one that I had was to do an episode within an actual prison. I don't have the security clearance to do that, but coach did. But I couldn't do the episode. He explained to me that, you know, I couldn't actually take any recording device inside. And, you know, he explained that it wasn't possible. But, you know, Qadr Allah, we're here. Um, Coach, it would be really nice to give yourself a brief introduction before we easing. Yes, my name is Muhammad Ibrahim Duale. I am a man with no title. I have, I have no title. My title is just what I do. I am a father of six and I live in London. I have a number of hats that I wear depending who is talking to me and what am I engaged with. I could be wearing my coaching hat my teaching hat, my mentoring hat, my community activism hat, my environmentalist activism hat, my personal development hat, my training hat. That's who I am. I'm glad that Fahad gave me the opportunity to come and speak to you, you know, and really share some of my experiences and the things that I want to leave on this planet as a footnote, good footprint. I just don't want to leave because everybody will die. Those people who don't even believe in anything, they agree, they actually believe the probability of dying is one. Means it's certain, even if they don't believe anything. I'm glad that I believe something. I believe bigger entity than all of us. And I wanna live on this planet with a good footprint and good legacy that inshallah will live as long as the planet lives. I became a lot familiar with you through the daily voice notes, you know, on that Somali, the Somali professionals, the chat, and, you know, it was really, really inspiring stuff to listen. But you stopped. Like, do you always try to send those kind of positive messages or was it just at Ramadan? I do send um, periodically, but Ramadan from day one to the last day, every morning, I record 10 minutes for the whole month, for the last four or five years hmm. I was doing. But now and again, I will... Actually, if there is a community issue, I'll just want to make something and share to so, whoever wants to listen to it. Yeah, because I'm beginning to think that I took those for granted. Um, 
coach and you also said you know you're we'll talk about your life and your early years but um speaking about your oh rather your grandfather he was a pan-african wasn't he you mentioned yes. that and how what was his role that he played in the liberation yes my my grandfather's name was Dali Dali Aftag Balorinchari his name mm. and my my grandfather he's seen the adversity of colonization a colony so when he was a young boy in Ergabo, a Senac region of Somalia, of northern Somalia, he encountered how the British colony was treating their subjects, Sir. as they used to say it, subjects, because they literally they own them, more or less, because they are in, in charge. That's why they call them subjects. And my grandfather was motivated by then, when he was young, he will liberate northern Somalia from the British government. And 40 years of his life he dedicated. He knocked every door that will facilitate for the liberation of mm -hmm. Northern Somalia, which a lot of people take for granted and probably don't know anything about it. Because when it comes to history, everybody claims their own history, how it happened and what's the, the, the issues surrounding the history itself. Mm -hmm. But this is well documented. It's not something that, you know, we just somebody claims. 40 years while he was fighting to liberate northern Somalia from the British colony, so. he was actively involved in the black and African issues. So in Cardiff, where he... What type of issue, issues? He will deal with employment issue, rights issue, you know, treatment, you know, because uh -huh. the black people were treated differently. Mm. Well, my grandfather, we, my grandfather came in the United Kingdom to 1908. And as a family, we've been here for over 100 years. So now the sixth generation are here. And my grandmother was half Irish, half Brazilian. Her name was Prudence Dowdy Roberts. Imagine, that's my grandmother with that name. Prudence Dowdy Roberts. Her father was from Brazil. He was captain of one of the ships and landed in Ireland. He never went back. He stayed in Ireland where he married his mom, her mom, which my grandfather, grandmother's mom, who was Irish, white Irish woman. And then my grandmother, she immigrated into Wales, that where she was married to Somali elders, one Somali man before my grandfather, who was a good friend of my grandfather. Hmm. She had a son with him. His name was Moses, uncle, my uncle Moses. He was non-Muslim, my uncle. Moses James Hassan was his name. But my grandmother had a two boys with my dad, with my grandfather and Duale. That was my, my dad and my uncle. So that was, they were brought up, imagine, in, they, were, they were born in Cardiff, both of them. They, none of them spoke in Somali, only English and Welsh. And my dad, because he was a, he's a veteran of the Second World War, mm. he was prisoners of war in Germany. He was waiting for, for execution and no, to be burnt in, in Warsaw with the, with the Jews. Luckily, the Allies overtook his uh, prison and he was saved. He was freed. My dad, he said, we're waiting for execution. All of us. Eight months he was in the prison with the Jews. Oh. Who was, they, were, they were supposed to be taking them to, to Poland to be burnt in Poland. The, the, the Concentration the, camps. The, the, the yeah. word they actually created for all these people to be executed. Luckily, my dad was saved. Thank God for that. So that's, you know, then my grandfather, when he came here, he started his journey of the liberation of northern Somalia, while he still was actively involved. There was a guy called something Robinson, and he was big Pan-Africanist back then, professor 
from USA, my grandfather was the one who used to welcome him in Cardiff or in Wales and in the United Kingdom. He used to travel with him. And we actually, we can get his picture when mm. they featured in, in somewhere in Swansea a couple of months, a couple of years ago, the history of the Somalis and the Pan-Africanism in Cardiff, Tiger Bay area, the call of Cardiff. Wow. Probably people in London don't know Cardiff Bay area, but those yeah. who know in Cardiff definitely will know. So predominantly where the, the black people live in Cardiff Bay area. You mentioned obviously that, you know, again, with your grandfather going through what he went through, you sort of, you followed the same route in that you wanted to sort of maybe stem or maybe change some of the things. I know that you mentioned, I just found out just before this um, episode took place, you initiated or you started to help the heart band in Wales. I never knew that. Yes, uh, we, we participate a lot of big stuff that have been in the United Kingdom. Qat was one of them, the bo- the prohibition of the Qat, the banning of the Qat. We started bo- rolling the ball in Wales oh. because a lot of youngsters in Wales will go into Qat and drop out their lives. Are, are there many Somalis in Wales? Yeah, there are about 10,000 plus, 10 to 12,000 Somalis in, in Wales. With Qat, were you seeing the issues in Wales, as in, was it the young people, was it the older people? But not only the issues for older people, but also issues for young people. A lot of youngsters were starting to do that, 18-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds. Like, was that because their parents? Parents too, yes. And also they have access to that, mm. plenty of it. And it's only four, four pounds, you know, everybody can get four pounds. Back then we're talking about. Uh-huh. But now it's different world game. Now you spend a lot of money buying a one one cat, <sighs> one you know bunch of cat. So how did I go about when you were rolling? You know you were rolling the ball at the government. How difficult was it? It was very difficult. We start you sh- we started actually really vigorously campaigning within creating awareness of the problem cat creates for the community within the community, and then we start talking to the the government, the the MBs and and the local MBs and mm. the councillors. You know, we all the goal was to get to get to the MBs and make sure to convince them. And luckily, the white people in the area start doing that. So they saw so that the adversity was, of... was not only confined to our community. Now it was going to their community. They can see a lot of young white male sitting like the Somalis in in like they created their own places within their own white dominated area and start. Lit, uh, no littering the area and rubbish too much rubbish in the area and also not only that plus the nuisance they make noise they swear at each other they chase each other it was really the make difficult for that area so the local people start campaigning and some of those people were working HTV and IT, you know, ITV so now they, the ITV wells now, now things go inside the, the, the media so they start campaigning to the and what their area is where the government is run, is is a, is a Cardiff Bay. You know, the, the Walsh, Walsh Assembly is in Cardiff Bay. So now it's easier to get the message across to them. Mm. Now Walsh government has to talk to the, the UK government to start rolling the ball to look at the car to be banned nationwide. Because it was having a problem across not only Wales, but also the United Kingdom, especially London. But that means if the white people wasn't affected, there's a big chance they would have not really have gone through with this. Absolutely. The white people was they're learning that. So they start learning start they started to Jew. So uh-huh. now they thought our our you know white people will affect it big time. So we cannot afford so they try to prevention is better than cure. Mm. So they prevent it. Sorry. But when it comes to our people, they wouldn't stop it. 
because they w- it wouldn't matter to them if, whether if we're all dead or not mm. in reality, technically, truthfully speaking. But I want to take things back to when you were in Somalia. Take me back to your headspace, where you're at, you know, you're 18, 19. Why is it that you wanted to come to the UK? Good question. When we were in Somalia, the civil war started. Sir. Just before it started, just before it started, my dad heard that the country is very unstable. The central government is very shaky and there's a possibility the anarchy will start and the civil war and, you know, the whole country will be, nobody's going to govern the country mm. but unless you got a gun or whatever. So my dad applied reunion visa for all of us to join with him. And I will never forget, we moved here February 16. I remember even the date that we arrived, 16 of February 1990, that's when we arrived. I must be about 18 years old. Mm. And it was just, you can imagine that no English, just literally, I don't know anything about the culture. It was culture shock, was the language barrier, the culture shock. And that's because of that reason we moved to this country and reunited with our dad, who was already living in Wales and never moved out of Wales at all. Only he was traveling back and forth and predominantly stayed here in Wales. Coach, do you think, this is a side topic, but I was just thinking about this when you were speaking about it and you were saying that it was a culture shock. Do you think the the shock within itself could have had like a serious effect on Somali parents as beings themselves? Being in, you know, and trying to integrate into a culture, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes they'll immerse themselves with the people. Other people, they might be isolated, be depressed and be like, you know, outcast. Do you think that that had an effect on your generation? It, it did have, it had, our generation were two group of, two group. Mm. One group, they assimilated into the society. They become part of the society. So. One group, they positively integrated people like myself who made a conscious decision back there. I will not sim- assimilate the society. I will not be lost within the society and become one of them. So I maintain my roots while I play an active role in or contribute into whatever so, I go to, whether I work for the government, whether I work for myself or whether I work other agencies, but I maintain my, my, my cultural identity. Hmm. And that was something that I wasn't willing to compromise. And I am grateful to my mom who instilled that cultural identity in me from childhood and then taught me that when you are proud Somalian with your, because of your culture and your religion, you will fit in any community and you will play active role in anywhere without compromising any of your cultural identity. Well, now if you ask a Somali, young Somali, are you Somali even? They will think twice to answer that question. I, this old lady called me in East London school, primary school, and they want to teach Somali. I wanted to take the challenge and teach Somali in the school. And the old lady, she's 90 year old, school head teacher. I said, why are you still working? She said, if I am home, I, she said, I don't even ask her money for this role. I just do it for voluntary role. They give me enough money to live on. So I don't even ask her for money, but I run, I never, I don't want to leave this work because if I leave, what am I going to do? She said at home, but now I make big decisions. I'm still active. And I think I have got a couple of years left in me, she said. She said, it's a one young lady in the class. She doesn't want to be taught Somali. How can we encourage her to, to join the class? 
Somali mia, that... Som- Somali girl, little girl. She said, "Why do I want to learn Somali?" I Means she, she doesn't want to even at that age. She doesn't she... want to have anything to do with Somali or culture or language. And sometimes it, the problem is not the kids. The parents could be the parents. In what sense? Because it's the parents who instill the kids their cultural identity. But if they don't even understand each other, how could they instill the cultural identity? Imagine the parents speak Somali and the kids speak English. There's already already a barrier. Imagine that a lot of parents do not speak English at all, or they speak broken English. They cannot effectively communicate with their young with the kids. One of the kids is the the translator in the house. Oh, what did she say? What did he say? He's the one who actually tried to liaise between so, the parent and the children. And that's a lot of Somali households like that. And the true message gets lost. And the lost. parents do not go to educate. They they're not educated. They're not educated enough mm. to understand and take a lead, and instill that cultural identity in the kids. Even if they don't understand, if they don't speak Somali, let's say that for the sake, but at least they never leave the culture. They got mm. their heritage. They they know they are Muslim. They know they have to keep that identity of being Muslim intact. So yes, when I when I came, I decided I will maintain my cultural identity, although I have got mixed race, you know, background. Mm. Although my dad never spoke Somali in his life, but that doesn't stop me not to to maintain my Somali language, so. you know, the best possible way. Mm. So, coach, you're in the UK at 19. Did you want to have the goal to go to university, or did you have a certain career path in mind? It's a good question. I really like the question. Yeah, I'm glad that you you taken me back because I remember I went to this house. There were Somali elders. I think all of them passed away except one. I just two last two weeks ago I went to that one of them. The last one stay for his funeral, who I I really had a lot of respect for, and may Allah be merciful on him. I mean, so I went. I sent. There were nearly twenty five of them. All of them were alive back then. I said, uncles, you've been here 30 years, 20 years, 25 years, a mix of number of years. Some of you are under 10, some of you more than that. I want to learn English first. After that, I want to go to college and then university. Is there any one of you who will give me guidance and advice and mentoring and at least to point me in the right direction? Mm. No one opens their mouth, yeah. not even one person. So one man, his name was Musa, something like that. I can't remember. He passed away nearly 15, 20 years ago. He passed away. He looked at me and he said, "Listen, Adair," he said, "Adair, you're wasting your time talking to these guys. These guys, they never went to school. They don't. They can't speak English. You will take them, some of these guys, and translate for them within the next couple of months. I, I promise you for that," he said. I can tell you that most of them I translated for them in one way or another. Mm. I went to appointments with them. I wrote letters for them. I advocate some of their their rights and you know some the, you know the things they the council were not giving to them. I started lobbying and fighting on their behalf and actually advocating on their behalf, which was most of predicted that. So then I decided I need to find different and I I my English is very limited, so I started talking to. This lady who used to teach me English, her name was Susan. She was 90 year old. 90. 90 year old. She could hardly walk. She looked at me and she said, "Mohammed, don't waste your time in this easel class." She said, "Please learn the basics. Go somewhere else and learn English. You won't learn much here." She said. 
then I decided that I will do by any means necessary to educate myself, to find other people who can support me and guide me and do give me some mentoring, which luckily I found them. Then I decided to write in and draw in my roadmap. I had always in mind to work with chemical engineering and petroleum and all mm. this. So I, a bit of a guidance and support from within Wales. Somebody advised me to do this course, then I do this, then I do this, then I go to uni. The rest is history. And luckily, the guys who were my age, they were thinking of getting married. I will mm. never forget this one. So, but it's because we're talking about that back then. Yeah. And they used to, I, I was carrying the bag. I'm just, you seen the big carry. Yeah? My yeah. bag looks big, yes? Yeah? I was carrying almost the same bag 30 years ago. Same bag. Yeah. And my friends back then in the masjid and in the community, they used to say to me, you just, you be, you're breaking your back. You're not learning, man, anything. Just forget about, throw the bag away and just stop carrying books all the time and reading. And they start criticizing what I was doing back then. And guess what? I start teaching them and their kids, both of them. Those guys, I start teaching them. I used to teach them English and maths mm. and how to actually be a good student. So and I start teaching their kids, twittering them, you know, you know, GCSE and, and good knows and above and below and beyond. And we start mentoring them. And some of their kids were really come, you know, and, and went to university and studied. So I had to really find my way where I want to go. Mm. And I had no community. They have no, no, no role models in the community. Nobody who can speak your language and give you guidance. And the people who actually, who were educated back then, they would never hang around with the community. They already simulated in the society. So, so they, these guys, they, cons they consider themselves as the elites. Mm. So they don't, they were looking upon their, uh, they were looking down on their communities. But I would, I want to want to leave the community. In the same time, I want to get educated. So luckily, I went to college, then I went to university. And I had several degrees since then, around that time. And I never stopped learning. I vowed. Back then, every three years, I will learn something new. And I maintain that throughout. What topics can you get into? Or what have you learned in the past? Or... I've learned so many topics. I literally can think of, I learned communication was one of the big areas I want to, and, and, and really get the, the grip of it. Hmm. Oral communication. I learned verbal communication. I learned written communication. Then I, I move into actually lecturing. Even I had to actually learn from scratch. But from going to university and actually getting yeah. my BGCE, still I never stopped learning how to teach. Then I move into learning, I specialize in math, then in chemistry. Then I will move into an IT. Then I will move into doing an coaching and then I training. Then I want to NLP, you name it. I, I, there's, I hasn't, there's, not, there's any topic that I haven't, I learned him how to deal with money, investment. Anything that I seen that was useful to me, I, I jump onto the to, to the train. I never, and every time I will get my, I will keep myself busy learning, either mm. reading or learning or listening. So you mentioned that the goal, coach, was you said you wanted to become a chemical engineer, but then you delve into, you know, specializing in teaching, coaching and whatnot. I want to go to Cardiff Council you know, working with the youth. How long were you there for? I was working with a council from different, different completed project. Mm. But while I was doing that project to do with housing and refugees and so on. Was that the main? 90s, yeah? Yeah. Then I, still on the side, I had another, you know, community related youth role as well. 
Um, so I was working both roles simultaneously. But we started the Somali Youth Association 2003. So I was one of the founders, Somali Youth Association, back then. What, but back then, what were your intentions? My intention is to create a, a community organization that supports young people and helps them to be the best version of themselves. And we were involved in sports. We we actually, we created and established the first Somali-led and predominantly Somali players team called Cadi Bay Warriors. Mm. I mean, these guys were really super talented. I was their goalkeeper. I was a striker <laughs> at one point. I get injured, then I become their goalkeeper. And I travel many countries <laughs> and many places with them. I was their keeper. I know that you mentioned that you were like semi-pro lacking. You know, everyone, even Anega, I, I like to say that I'm semi-pro. Every Somali says that, but that's that's actually true. It is true, yeah. We were really true. Oh, okay. And I really wanted to, every time I was closer to really go to trial or whatever, I get injured. So when I decided probably football wasn't wasn't meant for me, but never I never exited the, the, the realm, football. Yeah. Uh, the football, uh, you know, I was always surrounded by football. But what happened? Football becomes a vehicle to save young people from going into drugs, gangs, criminal criminal activities, so antisocial behavior. So we use football as a vehicle. So what we do we used to take yeah, a lot of young people, to 20, 30 of them in a remote area in Wales and have them for three days, four days. And all we do, we get to know each other, train them, educate them, and also play football and teach them how to become responsible adults mm. and vibrant citizens. You know, somebody who really helps themselves and helps their own loved ones, community and their country. And they also represents us. But yeah. co- coach, one thing I do want to say though is you were mentioning that you would make football their vehicle. Does it start to become a problem, or do you think there's a tangible difference? Like, don't you think the dean should be the staple? The way we looked at is when we get all these youngsters together as a team, huh? we do everything as a team. We pray uh, together. Sir, sir. We we educate them through football. Because football is what they love. What what brings everybody together is so, football. So they will never leave so it. So we use the football as a vehicle, but we in, we actually start instilling a lot of... Islamic values. A lot of real... The values they should have. Mm. And now we tell them how honest, you know, their life will play. How, you know, become, you know... If, if they think nobody sees you, Allah will see, sees you regardless. Even if you're under the sea, Allah is still watching you. So we're teaching them, you know, how to be safe from radicalization. Back then it was big thing. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, back then it was big thing. And now, now people are going to Syria and all these places. Yeah. So we, our role is how to stop these youngsters to not to become a victim of this and, 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 and groups. Coach, how difficult was it to see Somalis doing that? Somalis that you've seen, like the youth going? It, it was, the temptation was there mm. for a lot of youngsters who wants to really, because they don't understand the war, you know, and the adverse of war. Yeah. And where they go when it was people they were telling them, you go to Jannah, my friend. There is no Jannah in Syria, bro. I'm telling you. You know, so we're trying to explain to these guys, it's just the whole even organization of ISIS and all this. Well, man, it was made for for to to give you know you know to actually the whole thing is made yeah i know you know and i, I so our goal was not our kids our, our somali young, our somali young people youth not to become victim of isis and join them and probably lose their lives 
or in the process become you know radicalized did you personally know people that that ended up joining not somalis not i, I don't know one Som- somali who who joined isis but i remember back then when we had a group of algerians and have other group of other ethnicities because these young mm. people were taking them not only somalis they're the all Muslim kids, the Yemenis, Somalis, Sudanese, you know, Algerians, Moroccans, you name it. Hmm. And I there was I was I was watching TV and I seen one of the boys who were with us on 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 the Sky News. I said, Are you kidding me? So you he back then I remember we went to a small island a small we went to a small uh, village in not in 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 Wales, in West Wales, in somewhere in Wales. And I was talking to all of them, but my role was to train them. These guys are not, we're not we're not following the same thing. They, these guys they don't represent us. ISIS is not Muslim organization. They have nothing to do with Islam. They don't play no role. And these guys only they look like us, but they not they don't believe what we believe in. Mm-hmm. These guys are anarchists. I said these guys are actually they don't believe in anything. And if you watch and read, you will understand what I'm talking about. It's reality. These guys are really, they're bad guys. So we tell these guys, you need to learn your religion and you understand what exactly your religion. Our religion is talks about all the time saving lives. It's like you're saving the whole world, not killing lives. If you kill one person, you know, deliberately, that means you kill the whole humanity. We will have a training in the date in the morning. We go football and do all that stuff. Then in the afternoon, we do the same thing. And the night, we finish off another, I win another seminar. I mm. do three seminars in the, in the row, one after the other. But there are other activities in between. You are stopping people from being radicalized or going to these countries for um, war. But you also mentioned that there was another reason that you were in the Cardiff Council and that was to basically stop or prevent people from, you know, taking drugs and things like that. How bad was it with Somalis and prison? We believe that prison isn't a big problem for Somalis. Like, it's a it's a belief that there's many, many other things that we are going through, like, in 2023. Like, what's your thoughts? Having been someone who actually has the security clearance to go to these prisons... One thing in reality is that Somali community is a small community in the United Kingdom. So. We're a minority of minority. But it's, it's quite sad to say about 10% of a youth is in prison, in the prison service. 10%. That was several years ago. It's massive. It's a massive. We are minority. Imagine minority, 10% of our community in a nationwide are involved in a prison-related, you know, service. I think someone told me that in Felton Prison, I think around 30% of that prison are Somalis, but I didn't it's, believe that. It's quite a big number, but I, I used to go to one of the prisons in West, in West London and there were 1,500 inmates in that prison. Yeah. Somalis would be maybe 100, 150 of them from one so, community. So good, 15, yeah, 10-15%. Yeah, and that prison, just imagine, one prison. So imagine all the other ones. Yeah. So we have got big number of our young people end up in that the criminal justice service, you know, and they they go through this process. 
And that's something that we need to be aware of. Mm. You know, if you live in a little bubble and you think our community is, is a holy community and we are this and that, it's not the case. Soon, what's going to happen, almost every household somehow will have somebody visiting or being to prison somehow, one way or another, by the look of it, if we don't do something about it, if we don't really, as a community, come together and do something for our young people, prevent mm. them from going to prison. And those who end up to prison, it's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, people could make a mistake, but we need to teach them, you should never, ever go back to prison. That's what the reason I volunteer and I went through the whole this clearance, which was really, you know, it's not the easiest way to go to, you know, the Ministry of Justice clearance, clearance or security it's not an easy clearance. It's clearance. not an easy process. Mm. It's a vigorous process. They will really, literally everything you ever involved, they will know, more or less. They will look at every database that exists in the country. If you have any involvement into drugs, into gangs, into criminality, into uh, radicalization, into terrorism, the questions they ask you will be like, are you serious? They're going to ask you that question. Is part of the process. You have to answer those questions. Do you have any anybody related yeah, to protocol. terrorism or yeah. anything like that? You say like, whoa, what are, you, what are you talking about? So, And yet our youngsters, they end up in that place, in prisons, through drugs, criminality, gangs, to, you know, breaking the law, you know, many different laws, to serious crimes, robbery, you know, to uh, organized crimes, you name mm. it. We need to start talking about it. We cannot keep everything that taboo and we don't want to talk about it. We support the time that as a community, we've been here long enough to come together in each area of within London and elsewhere to come together and talk about how can we save our youngsters going that route of becoming a part of the criminal justice. You know, Coach, um, I know that we're going to talk about the main part of this um, episode, which is about creating a legacy. And part of that implies someone or something making, you know, a contribution to society, which is meaningful, which lasts. In your words, how would you define a legacy, particularly in your context of working with the youth? And the word legacy is something that people will remember about you. Something that you will leave behind mm. that lives for generations to come. That's legacy. If you take a good legacy, for example, the legacy of our the companions of the Prophet, there are some people who are only Muslim for six years. There's a one Sahabi who just only been, was Muslim for six years. The day he died, the, the Arsha of Allah shook the day he died. Means that he's got legacy. That's legacy. You're talking about legacy. And every single one of us, every day we write in our legacy, whether we like it or not. Either good legacy, or a bad legacy. Or when we die, when our big day comes, that we become statistics. Today, 5,000 people died in United Kingdom. You will be one of them. Or you will be in Somalia or elsewhere, whatever. Only Allah knows where we will die. And I always pray to Allah that I will die in a Muslim land. I was praying for this one since the day I came here. And who knows? I leave Allah to make that decision on my behalf. I'm quite happy with his decision. And honestly, every single day we write in our legacy. The legacy that we are going to leave behind, it should be that we leave something for the young people that will help them, which guided them, which helped them to cope with this changing world 
you know where you know social media is the big thing you know and now just social media it depends how you want to use it I, I left social media a long time ago and i never regretted that i left the social media i'm not missing anything <sighs> and if i need to talk to or read anything i just grab a book or read the, the contents that i know is credible and it's reliable content to read and it's true part of a legacy should be we need to leave something, write books. And I, I, majority of my time, I'm right, start doing writing and other stuff. I want to leave something behind that will save as many young people from going to criminal justice system, from becoming, you know, losing their identity, from becoming that they're not worth of living. God forbid, mm. some people are thinking of suicide. You might be surprised, you know, from coming from Muslim household. Suicide is just like a, just like a, one of those thoughts that happens and even by, it randomly happens, but we should help our youngsters should never, ever contemplate taking their own lives. That should be a legacy that we should still think about what can we do to support our youngsters to never, ever think about suicides, so suicidal thoughts. We need to leave a legacy that guide our youngsters, help them support them, coach them, train them so they can become better versions of themselves. So they can represent mm. themselves wherever they are and be a good role models and ambassadors for their community, for their nation, for their religion, for their prophet. So we have to do anything we can. And some, this is something that I've been thinking about the last 20 odd years, 25 odd years, I'm thinking about legacy. And honestly, it's something that I think about almost every day. So I created a number of big initiatives, which one of them is a personal development program. I call it Barnamichka Hormarinta Norosha Shaksiga Koiska Yebulshada. I spent about three years writing that program. And I, I believe I saved a lot of mothers from becoming hopeless becoming mm. that they cannot do anything for themselves, it's not for their loved ones. A lot of these thousands of them that I, I who come through my program, they now stand up for themselves. They become really noticed. They want to do something for themselves. They, For the first time, they have a list of long list of goals that they want to achieve. They start making making the most of their time, whatever so, is to have time they got. They started learning how to deal with a anger, how to deal with stress, how to boost their confidence, how to become, you know, and really look themselves and instead of love and start loving themselves, you know, because a lot of them, they feel the men fail them in their marriages. I got to say this one with, with serious confidence. I got to talk to these thousands of them. Almost every day I talk to a Somali woman, a mother, an, an honorable lady. She has no support. The man, he's busy with Fadi Khudirir, you know, anything along that line. He's, he's changing ministers in Somali's governments and, you know, regional governments. And his family need his support. And that is not there. His space is a vacuum. So a lot of men are like that. Well, there are a lot of men who actually stand up and take their role seriously. And mm. they're good fathers, good husbands. And that's the legacy. It's part of the legacy. You have to think about what your children will remember about you and your community and young people in your community. 
imagine if you have never done if you have never done anything to help or support them imagine if you forget about the youngsters somali youth your own family that's become the first question what did you do for the family that should be your legacy what kind of man would you be the day you leave would you be people will really your loss would be a great loss or would be just somebody died you know allah yarhamhu may allah be merciful on him i'm telling you and although i'm going to thank you for listening this and i'm i'm going to thank you for fat for asking me this question about the legacy i want to leave a legacy that lives as long as the planet lives it's a big responsibility having a, that legacy that mindset legacy because you want to watch everything you do you want to be a good role model for others you want to be a good mentor for other people you want to be a great teacher somebody who really somebody calls you and believes by talking to you you will help them to find the courage and the ability to deal with the issues because we cannot fix anybody's issue they can only fix the issues you can mm-hmm. help them and support them to fix it you cannot fix it you don't understand the circumstances because you would never understand it because you're not in the box you're outside the box the people inside the box know what their issues are but you can only help them find them the right solution for the problem they're in so they can fix their problems so about the legacies you want to live a legacy that many generations will share that legacy we talk about the sahaba 1400 1500 years ago they passed away how on earth are we talking about somebody we never met because their legacy like musab ibn umar is always in my mind and never forget was a young person musab come from a very rich family he, for me is one of my you know really people i i look up to for years This guy was one of the richest young men in Mecca. When he had a man called Muhammad came and with religion he want to see the prophet in Dar al-Arqam and he said if I believe in you what is it for me? He said you have a jannah. Just believe in it like that with confidence. And the prophet in us was around with that. He meant it when he said that. He took on that allegiance. He took the pledge. he will get chana and i guess what he shaheed and hamza was killed on almost the same not far away from each other the prophet was very sad those he lost in those two big mm. personalities that close to him he was not only came from a rich background but he walked all of that away to have the legacy that he left today the people who died his time nobody even knows history never remembers them from the same family more or less or cousins or whatever who mm. were never who embraced that who never had the chance to embrace the religion so legacy should be something this recording could be part of the legacy that we making today that anybody who listens and really takes something away from it and start working on themselves and working on their families and in their communities and now becomes champion for change becomes that vehicle to help others to change but we have to change first before we are others to help others to change nikatisa dariyala yatukrana kutara when you take care of yours you can take care of others but if yours is absent don't bother actively trying to fix other people's problems or help them to fix them so the legacy is we need our young people there are our tomorrow's leaders we need to support them 
we need to educate them. We need to show them how to maintain their cultural identity. It's what makes the difference. If I see a Somali person, we were in Italy playing football, you know, about uh, anti-racism football. And we came said we hundred and five nation hundred and five nations and teams enroll um, the competition. We came said even the, the referee was against us, French recent French speaker. Anyway, we we lost semi final, but we came said we beat the other team who fourth. We came said mm. we seen Somali lady in Barma in Italy. Probably those guys who know Italy they know Barma. Yeah, we call at her when we call at her. She t- we we were twenty two people I think she took all of us to her house, and she cooked for us spaghetti and you know some of the stuff, and she gave us halwa and biscuits and tea and all this. Twenty two people. There were two white men in there with us and twenty some young people. And not guess what? Our last bus we missed our last bus, which means that we have to sleep in the city. But we can't afford it because we got we got tea, we got games right nine eight eight a.m. in the morning. We got to be back into our city, and now it's between like a Bristol and Cardiff. It's about forty four, you know, it's one forty four miles mm-hmm. between the two. Guess what? Her son had a Viet, small Viet. He took every single person in that Viet back and forth, back and forth. Wow! So wherever you go. When you really wanna see the beauty of our people, that lady she had no relation to anyone of us, absolutely none. She have never met us. We don't know her. She don't know. She doesn't know us. Yet she was willing to take us to her house, give us the food, and transport back to our hotel. So that's the legacy she left. She left me with. A, that was twenty exactly twenty two years ago. Precise twenty three years ago it was two thousand when we went to Italy. It's a long time ago. Yeah, and as the legacy is, wherever you are, become the best version of yourself. So by becoming the best version of the best version of yourself, you can help others to achieve, to become the best version of themselves. Whether mm. young, whether the middle age, whether the elderly people, whether the senior citizens, it doesn't matter. Everything stems out from you, but mm. you need to lead by example. Coach, I know that you know many people. They they like to associate a legacy with leaving material wealth, but it's often more than that. How do you think someone can create a meaningful legacy that doesn't have to be defined by leaving wealth? It's a really good question, and that's is a one million dollar question. Everybody has got his or her own understanding of what legacy is, Sir. or what kind of legacy they will leave. But the best legacy. Is the legacy that associated with no wealth, with no material possession, education, books. Even if you were a good role model, that's a legacy. If you always spoke about justice, that's mm. legacy. That's going to be your legacy. If you always spoke about the the community cohesion, that's legacy. If you taught people how to read Quran, for example, that's the best legacy. Imagine the best among you are those who learn Quran. And teach it. Imagine you teach somebody English. They never spoke English. I remember I got a lot of my students. I start with A, B, C. They got they write letters. Now they they send me their journals. I ask them, do you please write their gratitude journal and send it to me? And you will be thinking like this person didn't know A, B, C. Now they write in journals. 
So that's legacy. So that person will, for the rest of his life, you left something for them. A legacy, the legacy that I want to leave, which will nothing to do with material possession. I want to go back to Somalia, inshallah, and help to create a, a system where we have we have no problem with waters and plants. You wanted to work on the infrastructure. I want to create. I want to create something that an agriculture as well. Agriculture, you know, to do with the systems, you know, the roads, and you know, something that really tangible hmm. that will will make the life of people in back home more easy at ease. You know, like we don't have a proper transportation system. It's all about based on God knows what. You have to bribe everybody for anything happen for you. I I couldn't I couldn't do that because we know that the one who takes bribe and the one who gives both of them, Allah will Allah's mercy will be removed from them. There's a one clear hadith. Many of them, Arashi wal Murtashi al They are both of them Malunin. Means Allah's mercy will be taken away from them. Imagine the whole Ummah, the whole nation who use in a bribe system. Allah's curse is happening on them. So I don't want to be part of that. We want to create ethical, you know, uh, interaction and interactivity within the system. That we want to create ethical system where no bribe is required. You pay for the service they provide you, end of the story. No bribe is involved. Hmm. But unfortunately, the the current system is that's what it is. I don't want to get into <laughs> into into wasting my time talking yeah. about things that we're not going to do anything about it and nobody's going to benefit from anything. But we need to do a lot for our people. That's the legacy. We need to create enough resources, water, enough plants, enough a transportation system. We need education system. We need a proper robust health system. We need a system of governance. I'm not talking about democracy and all this bonkers. I'm talking about real systems where we know that we become one of the best nations on the planet. That's legacy, my brother. Even thinking about it's legacy. We need to recreate the sport systems, the athletics, football, you know, basketball, handball, you know, swimming. No, not mm. swimming. Imagine somebody <laughs> swimming in, in the pools. Excuse me, all you can see their teeth. My lord, you know, it's like, excuse me, are you, are you actually, yeah, yeah, I'm in the water. So, oh, I mean, I'm in there, I'm doing it. You know, in a, in a, that's quite a joke, joke yeah. you know, in a serious note. Means we need to really get a lot of these systems in place so our community will thrive. You know, coach, you know, as, a, as someone who is in the stratosphere of his community and working with the youth and developing them, how do you see fit? especially like now you're in London, how do you see fit in the best ways to engage and empower those youth to discover their own potential and have a positive contribution to society? Yeah, that's a really good question. Everybody is, is motivated differently. Not two people, even two brothers, you cannot motivate them in the same way. So yeah. we need to find out varieties of systems and activities where they can be invited to become part of. And if you know what they like, like football, we use football as a vehicle for change. We mm. motivate them. We, we introduce them all the other stuff through football. 
If we know basketball is the case, we use basketball. If you know it's athletics, we use athletics. If it's social media, we use social media. Mm. Those of us who wants to be, you know, yeah, to be so. in the lights <laughs> of social media. I don't want to be famous. I just want to be just uh, just one ordinary citizen. I know of Somali citizen. That's all I want to be. But those of us who are really active in social media and broadcasting and all this, we can use we can use whatever works for that group. But we need to do some and uh, fact finding missions. Mm. We need to really get our hands dirty. We need to go into their level. We need to go actually sit with these guys. What do they want? And ask them, how would you like to be engaged? We don't want to do guesswork. Guesswork doesn't work. It's wasting of time. We need people who truly care, who have got the, the time, the desire to help these people, these young people. Even those who are in prison, unfortunately, we end up in the wrong place at the wrong time. For whatever reason, we need to really engage with them because they could become the next vehicle for the one who wants to go to prison, they can't prevent them mm. because they already been to prison. They said, listen, they can't tell the young people who really want to go into crimes and criminality and all this. We can use these youngsters to help them, to stop them, these guys going to prison. So we need to really see what works. And each community and each area of London could be different. So we need to get the community active, especially young people, to find out what we can do for them, to help them, to help themselves mm. and be the best version of themselves. Yeah. Uh, coach, I know that a few days ago when we spoke on the phone, at the end, you really put emphasis on me trying to find a way back home, going to Somalia and making something of myself. For a person that may listen to this podcast, they may think, why? As someone who's been born in England, like many of us, I'm, maybe I've never been there. I feel no, I don't feel the ties or the bounds. It's a country that I don't really have allegiance to. As someone may say, I'm fine in the West. So what would you say about that? You can find the West as much as you like, but everybody will go back to his origin. Every person, even if you were born in the United Kingdom, my dad was born in the United Kingdom. Mm. He ended up in Somalia marrying my mom who was born in Somalia. So you can imagine. So, and Somalia, forget about Somalia alone, Africa is the next destination of wealth, of real sense of development. Mm. The West is nothing without Africa. I say this one with brutal honesty and, and confidence. Africa is the heart of the world's development. This world will not exist without Africa. The amount of stuff the West needs from Africa is unbelievable. And Somalia is one of them. You know, it's unfortunate that our people don't understand the value of their own country other than tribalistic mindset where they only hold themselves in a small area within Somalia and consider them that's our, our place. You know, other than that, those who were born in the United Kingdom who have got connection and strong ties here at United Kingdom because they don't know anything about back home, I think you'll be very surprised. Shock's waiting for you over there. You will be very surprised how amazing our country is and how it would enrich your life. But what if someone doesn't want to go back there? They're saying they don't find it a potential place to raise a family. That's what, that's what they think. You will never know until you, until you actually get there. But what would you say is the main incentive? The main incentive is... They, these people will, will at least the minimum will have their roots in place. Their cultural identity will, will reborn. 
Because bear in mind, somebody who was born and raised in the United Kingdom and who doesn't know anything about what Somalia is and the history associated with and all of these things, you wouldn't know until you really get there. Then you will mm. know how rich we are. We have got almost anything you can think of. Diamond, uranium, the gold, they call it the, the black oil, the black gold, the crude petroleum. Somalia is going to become a big country. Trust me. Could this could be a legacy? Mm. You could be listening this for the next twenty years. By then, who knows? Am I still here? Am I be gone? Nobody knows about that. And yet, Somalia will become prosperous country. So it's about the time now we start thinking about. I am fortunate to be Somalian somehow. My roots are from Somalia. I don't want to be left out. And that's the the West is want to move to Africa. In the sense of? In the sense of actually moving to Africa and living in Africa and thriving in Africa and owning Africa. That's why the whole recolonization move is changing. It's economical uh, recolonization. They hold the economy. Mm. Like the, now the France is one good example. Now almost several African countries, France, are kicked out. Yeah, you, you mentioned to me, I think it was a couple of days ago, you said that France are going to be in Europe. Yeah, they'll... The poorest nation in Europe, mm. if they if they lost the ties with Africa. Now Niger is the last one. Majority of their nuclear power, raw material comes from Niger. They will say they will invade the country by any means necessary. And now Burkina Faso, Niger... They are threatening because they're not cool. Now the new leader is is is, is taken power by force. They want to come and actually reinstate the puppet that who was there for them to loot the country, and they won't even pay in. They will pay in fraction of the cost of uranium. If you look at in the market, how much you pay one pound a pound weight. I'm talking about yeah. a kilo of uranium. What you pay for? They pay in fraction of that because they're colonial masters. But Africa is awakened. Africa is not the all Africa yeah. where the European were looting Africa. But these new leaders, Africa is not for loot. But Africa is getting smarter by the day. They will have one Africa, one flag, one leader, one money. That's going to be the next big one. And that a lot of African leaders are pushing that agenda. And if that succeeds... That's the agenda that Muammar al-Gaddafi was pushing. Yeah. And that's why they get rid of him, because mm. he was threat mm. to the the, the, single the, currency. the the African exploitation yeah. by the West. Because of that, he was he was they have to get rid of him. Look, the anarchy they cause to Libya and other Sudan is the next one. And now that's we'll do one by one Africa until because they want to they don't want to stop looting Africa. Instability, yeah. Yeah, instability is they profit from instability. Mm. But now Africa is awakened. Africa is not the all Africa. They don't bow down to their all masters. They have to pay ransom to a lot of African nations to the France. Their money is franc. It's the French money for at least the seven African nations. For what? Now um, Malawi. They remove Af the French as being the national language of the, the nation. They completely remove French. They declare it will be no longer the national language of Africa, of their country. They go back to their, their roots. So that's Africa. Africa. So those Somalis who were born and raised in the United Kingdom and think this place becomes poor. 
by the look of it because they don't have resources. United Kingdom have not their own resources. The fuel, the petroleum they have got, the crude oil they have got in North Sea. If Scotland becomes independent of United Kingdom, which they push in it, the referendum, then uh, they have almost nothing no, like to the coming on. into the country yeah. about from football and also, you know, the publicity and all this, you know, and that's, they're not going to eat football, are they? they where are they going to generate the resources? Africa is where the resources coming from. Because these countries, they colonized United Kingdom is, because I'm a Pan-Africanist, I can, I can openly say this one. Now, those countries that stand up against the, the, the colonial bullying, and no America is bullying. Now, Russia has become the friend of Africa. I'm not saying Russia, the Putin is, is a good man, he's a, he's a dictator, he's a ruthless leader. Yet, it's a lateral relationship. He respects Africa. He doesn't look them down. He doesn't talk them down. When the USA secretary went to Ghana and all this place, they were telling them, you have to do this and that. That's why Africa is stand up for the family too. We don't want to go into that conversation, but it's mm -hmm. Africa is protecting the African family. And Africa is now is a big thing. And you know that the Europeans and the West, they, they, they be pushing different agendas. There's two things I'm going to ask you to round off this podcast. Um, predominantly Somalis from the UK, like from the West, listen to this podcast. What is an advice that you would have for them? But also, what is an advice that you'd also have for me as a host of this podcast? And for, for the Somalis, if I give them first to who's, who, might, who might listen to this podcast, mm. in which I'm, I'm grateful to you that you invited me. To come on and i'm grateful that you accepted yeah and shared some lights to a wide range of issues africa including our country is the next big thing that's where wealth is we have got unexploited serious natural resources europe has no natural resources africa has our country has we have got the gold, the black, uh, the black, uh, the black gold, which is the crude petroleum. We have got diamond. We have got even uranium in in certain part of Somalia. We got gold. Even people will find gold, not even going too far. Where do you find a gold just laying certain places in a country? That's happening in Africa, my friends. And if you think this country, because I've got a London tube and got a good transportation system and a good health system, yes, thank God for that. We have got beautiful systems in the United Kingdom. With money, we can create any system. Look, the Arabs were Bedouins. Now they're hosting the World Cup. Are you telling me the Arab Bedouins who hosted the World Cup, we cannot do the same thing? If we have got the wealth and the resources, Qatar is a small nation. So maybe it's one small, two, two region of Somalia, you know, that's how big is Qatar, the whole Qatar we're talking about. And yet they host the World Cup. World respects them because of the resources. They got gas and oil, both of them they have got. They gas this, they were the biggest supplier of gas, natural gas, I think after Russia or something like that. So those of us who were born and raised, Somalis mm. who were born and raised in, in this country, Please start thinking about, see the big picture. Somalia is potential country. That's why there are people who are benefiting from the instability. It's good for them. So they want to get rid of all Somalis and overtake the country 
and actually live Somalia and rename it and probably call something else. So it's about the time that we all stand up and start thinking about I want to go back and actually do something in my country. If you're looking for wealth, you got unexploited wealth in Somalia. Mm. For you, my brother, which I thank you for, for inviting me and talking to me about all these wide range of topics, you have to start becoming the best version of yourself and expand yourself. Don't limit what you're just currently doing. Think about what can I do to potentially increase my success in every endeavor, every part of your life. Think about life, money, family, education, wealth, spirituality, connection. All these are as to become a rounded human being, resourceful. Resourcefulness, it doesn't come you know, cheaply. It comes with a lot of work, experience, and mm. you know, and every couple of years, do something new, learn something completely brand new topic. You could beat Robert uh, Mugabe and have twenty degrees. He had a fifteen or sixteen degrees. Sure. He's the he's the most educated leader on on the history of humanity. There was no man was more educated than him who has the role he had. But the West didn't like him anyway. Because he tell the truth as it is. He never sugarcoat. So for you, you can beat Mugabe and anyone else. You got plenty of time. Now today is the best time to live. The most abundant time to live. Everything now, artificial intelligence made everything pretty easy. So if you're looking for information, you don't look for too much. You just chat GBT and they tell you where to find the information. <sighs> Now even they ask you, they, they create an app for your phone, so you don't even have to go on your computer alone. We are living in the best time of our lives. So if I had to make the most of your time while you're helping to educate our community, which I'm grateful to you for doing what you're doing for our community, you can also do a lot for yourself in return. And the ball always in our courts. We can do the best we can. Every single day, remember, what can I do to educate myself? What can I do to better myself in terms of your emotions, in terms of your intellect, in terms of your education, enlightenment, wisdom, in terms of your connection with Allah? Because without Allah, we are nothing. We are absolutely nothing. And we are all in need of Him. He is no in need of us. And that's and I want to thank everybody who had the chance, who had the, who spent the precious time <laughs> to my little things that I, I said. If I have spoken broken English, I, I sincerely apologize. If no. I say something that has no facts or whatever based on my own views, is purely on my own views. It's nothing to do with Fahad or the the broadcast. Broadcast. It's just purely my own. No, Ali, Ali, Ali. And I thank, I'll thank Allah for also giving me the opportunity to come on and talk to you guys, whoever want to, whoever will, whoever will listen, inshallah, and for whenever you listen, guys. Inshallah. I think on the advice that you've mentioned to me, I think I'm going to basically end it on a quote that you said, you know, the goal is to help someone help themselves. So I think that will be my goal for this podcast. You know, I hope that when people listen to these episodes, they're inspired at the very least to become, you know, a beacon if not a resource for people so that they can help others, you know. Um, coach, I normally end my podcast episodes with a question. And did you, have you heard of the Freshly Grounded podcast? 
I won't get into the details, but I think was it the, it Asia, was, the two Asian guys? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I so, so to now and again. So around, I think during COVID time, they created this game. It was a set of cards. So I pick out a random card card to end off the episode. I have no idea what the question will be, but I walk with dinner. You know, it's not going to be too personal. That's the matter. Oh, this is a good one. So you're you're supposed to fill in the gap. When I think of meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I feel? I feel when you meet Allah? Yeah. I feel and... Like the prospect. I feel like, you know, I speechless, you know. You mean like... Yeah, like have you ever thought about the day that you will meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Jannah? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, you know, it's a humongous day. Mm. It's like... Sometimes your mind cannot even comprehend how would you feel meeting Allah in Jannah. Subhanallah. It's, 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 it's just... I just... It become really... You just... To, you need to be there and witness it. The magnitude of that experience. Mm. Yes, may Allah grant you that. May Allah grant us all that. Uh, guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. I know that you guys will probably have um, enjoyed this episode, probably not as much as I have, because I really, really, really did enjoy this one. Um, Coach, thank you so much. I know that you are someone who is so busy with your time, so I thank you for just taking out an hour and a half, two hours. I thank you for your calls, your texts. Your advice is to me, I really, really, really do appreciate it. And I hope that at the very least, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants you and your family and your loved ones the success that you desire and crave. And as for my listeners, as always, we release the episodes every two weeks on a Monday, inshallah, um, on Apple and on Spotify. You know, keep tuning in, you know, keep reaching out to us, keep messaging us, keep giving us your reviews, you know, your criticisms. And yeah, as always, we will see you on the next episode, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.